Hey y'all, it's Ryan Monso, and this is Talking About Them Cougars podcast from GoCougs.com. We're in affiliation with Dave Campbell's Texas Football, Republic of Football, Podcast Network. Brad Towns, former U of H athlete, current fat guy, with us. We're going to talk about Rice, the whole disaster of a weekend. You've got TCU coming up, opening the Big 12. That'll be fun. And we have a theme song and renew. And maybe an ad. Fire away, ad. Do your thing. Pay them bills. I'm Stuart Gus, official personal injury attorney of U of H Athletics. Cougar athletes have to trust their coaches and teammates, whether it's going for it on fourth down, nailing that three-point shot, or trusting your teammate to hit that walk-off home run. If you've been in an accident, big or small, do not go it alone. You can trust Gus to fight for your maximum recovery. Call 866-TRUST-GUS today. TrustGus.com. Principal Office, Houston, Texas. So it was twenty-eight nothing, and I, I I don't ever remember feeling like you've been punched in the face like that. I'm sure it felt that way for UTSA in 2014, but this was this came out of nowhere. Rice looked horrible a week ago, and the defense was serviceable against UTSA. It was not in the first half on South Main. U of H gave up 28 points. They were a play away from giving up 35, and they'd have never been able to come back from that. Uh, make a good play in the end zone with Isaiah Hamilton, the TSU transfer. And, Brad, I, I, there's just no way to describe how shocking it was and then how completely unsurprising it was that Rice would just try to sit on the ball by throwing it, nonetheless, hoping that the clock would just run out, allowing U of H to get back in it. Yeah, I, I was. To, I'll say this: I was not surprised to see us down twenty-eight to nothing. I was surprised in the manner in which that was done. I can, I can definitely see U of H coming out you know, a little bit flat, making some mistakes. You know, give up a give up a, a pick six or a, a a fumble recovery or a special teams deal or one big play here, one big play there, but that didn't happen. They no, just, it was methodical. Rice was just methodically marching down the field, just cutting that defense in half. And the most troubling thing was, is that they were whipping the offense and defensive lines. They were winning the game in the trenches, and they were playing more physical and having their way with the big guys. Yeah, and that is that was it was that was pathetic. That was pathetic. I mean. The right side of the line has been a Uh-oh. question mark, and this game they were on skates. You don't think there's a question mark anymore? No, no, no. There's not a question yeah. mark. I think it's it's pretty much proven. I mean, it's proven as much this year after the first two games as it was last year after the first two games. It's exactly the same as it was, and it's the exact same problem with the exact same personnel. But this time, it wasn't just UTSA and Texas Tech doing the pushing around. This is Rice. I know, I know, I know. They give scholarships too. Okay, well, if we're going to go with that excuse, um, 
then we're obviously recruiting in the shallow end of the pool and we're doing a worse job of it than Rice is. Do we believe that's the case? Is that what we, we want to really want to go with that excuse? No. But they just absolutely dominated the trenches early on in the first half. Yeah. They well, were more, Nelson Caesar line, was the only guy that did anything on your defensive line. In, and inside, he had a good game. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Caesar, Caesar was the standout. I mean, I think the, the one guy that admitted to the, the game. Yeah, the one guy that admitted to overlooking Rice had two sacks, had another TFL, broke up a pass. I think he swatted one down. Um, I mean, he did his job, but the rest of the defensive line was virtually, they weren't even there. No. Between Hakeem and Anthony Holmes Jr. and Cedric Williams and David Aguebu, I think they had like five tackles total. Like, that's everybody else that played on the defensive line. And you can't. You can't do that. And they were getting whooped. Rice was doing what they wanted, giving JT Daniels plenty of time. It's not like he was throwing it deep, but gave them time to get slow white guys, tight ends, pretty much anybody they wanted open across the middle. Well, and that's, that's the, I mean, from, from a, if I'm a neutral fan and I'm watching that, I'm like, oh man, I love this offense because they are just gutting the middle because what we saw, what we saw is once, once we stopped, once we proved that we couldn't do much defensively, um, we decided to drop into our big giant blanket of poo coverage where we rush three and just drop everybody back. And guess what they were doing? They were just running free right down the middle. Blankets Either hitting them on crossing routes or hitting hitting little seam routes, then throw then dink and dunk to the sideline, and then go back and just gut right through the middle and just drive after drive after drive, touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. And I think you're you were you were dead on. If they didn't brain fart and try to throw a back shoulder fade in the end zone and they score, they get that 35th point, it's curtains. That ball game is over. There is no comeback from that. But hey, you know. I think uh, watching it on the um, watching it here at the house and watching the meltdown online as it was happening, I remarked that hey, we're going to come back because at the end of the day, rice is rice, and they remembered that they make really strange decisions and really helped us out to make it look like a ball game. I mean, how do you how do you justify what how they they ran the offense in the second half? They would have been better off. For every drive, just taking a knee for three plays. Yeah. Well, I mean, it goes, it goes from it. The, the hardest thing to do is shift your mentality. And but you don't have to shift your mentality. I know that's, that's the problem is that they tried to shift their mentality and they went from, Hey, let's go out and just let it rip and see what happens to, Oh my God, we're going to, we can win this thing. Let's try not to lose it. And so the aggression that they had in the first half, that all died in the second half, especially after that interception. That just that pretty much killed all their <clears throat> all their mojo. Yeah, uh, that was so strange that that was the play of the game, basically for U of H to end the half. And yeah, but it, it worked. And, and and Rice just looked totally lost. And then as soon as the game ended and you go into overtime, it's like they found it again. Yeah, I mean U of H kind of shot their wad in regulation, getting back and tying it up. And yeah. I don't know if that's a mentality or just an emotional, you just take a breath. Uh, Dana was pissed off about it in the post game, 
but I, you know, we have been, we've struggled to understand things in the last five years. I would put this right at the top of the list. How you go down 28 to nothing rice and not a very good rice team. I told you this, that I thought if Bloomgren would have let U of H come back and win, that would have been it for him. I think they'd have fired him. I think they're going to still fire him. Right. But I think the decision might have been made yesterday, Sunday. Well, and I don't, we, we probably, I think we talked about it a while back um, about Rice. The only thing that concerned me about Rice is, one, we played them really close last year. Um, and this year they got a quarterback that I don't know how good he is, but I know he's significantly better than anything that they could ever hope to attract on over there at Rice. Yeah. And so they just got to find a guy on his seventh or eighth school and be that, that desperation last hope. And that's yeah, what they did with I mean, JT Daniels. That's exactly right. And he showed that he might not be he might not be the the five star, you know, all American superstar that that he was coming out of high school. He might not be the guy that you thought was going to be the locked in starter at Georgia until he got hurt because he was there. He was their starter to start the season whenever he was there. Yeah. He might not be that guy, but he is miles better than anything that they can have. And he's miles better than probably what we have from a passing standpoint. I don't think Donovan had a bad game. I don't think he was always put in the best position. I don't well, think the that's... throws that they're asking him to make are very good. Right. But you well, can pin thing, a lot on thing... him, but you can't pin this loss. That 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 interception was horrible. Horrible. Yeah. And he probably should have had another one that he threw from the right side across his body to the left side uh, about 10 or 12 yards downfield. He probably should have had that picked off. But other than that, he has done a good job of ball security through two games, one bad play. Now it's going to step up this week, but I just I, I can't put it on him. I, no, I mean, it, it go, but it goes back to it goes back to the same thing we've we've had an issue with for four years now. Is the one thing that Rice did really well this year that we still don't do is plan the offense. But the idea of getting the ball out quick, yeah, I think we're asking. I think we're asking him to do things that either he's not great at, uncomfortable with, but it's definitely not his str- his strength. In right. the fact that we're asking him to to drop back and then really read everything going on out there. I mean, yeah. If 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 you if you think about it, the idea should be okay. You see what's going on pre snap. It'd be nice to see some motion to maybe get some flex out there to see if you can get people to move to figure out, okay, this is where the coverage is going to be. This is what's this is a, a good idea of what they're going to do post snap. So then you can eliminate your you've got two decisions. You got one, two, check down, and that's it. Not a hey, let's look far right, let's look far left, let's look over the middle. Oh my God, we're out of time. Let me throw this, let me throw this away. Let me see if I can escape the pocket and then so I can throw it away or maybe find somebody to check down. I think you've got to get him one decision and check it or run, not two. There should be would, one would, read, check, run. And when he exactly shows he do. can do that, you go on to, okay, let's try to go with the second read. 
Well, he showed he showed that hey, you can he can run the he can run the ball. I mean, finally we figured that out in the fourth quarter that yeah, hey, you know what? Maybe <clears throat> maybe uh, planned runs with him probably a good thing. Well, guess you know what he's you know what he's really good at that we saw last year is that when you drop a lot of people, yeah, he has room to run and he can get eight to ten yards to fifteen. Yeah. Maybe maybe he can get twenty yards on a fourth down. I've seen that. I feel like. Premonition. I think he has that in his toolbox. I'm not sure. I've got a much like much like U of H players. I have a really really short memory, and it's very fuzzy. I don't remember what happened last year. Yeah. So let's get into Dana's press conference after the game because it was a litany of excuses of things. Well, that... to be fair, he said it may be this okay. excuses. It may be this. Or this, or this, or this, or this, or this. I don't know. But he said that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, bad days of practice. Yeah. And that's a huge concern. Why are you having a great Tuesday? The best and ever. three crappy days. Like, how does that happen? I understand that when you have a good day of practice, the next day is not going to be as good. You're not going to be as crisp. But they shouldn't be terrible. No. And by the middle of your practice Thursday, it's still bad. What are you doing to change that? What are you doing to get them out of the funk? Uh, I don't think you can do an Oklahoma drill anymore, but you got to get something that can get those guys like right on that, that right track. Today, Monday, in the press conference, and I think he even said it Saturday night, is that he talked about guys losing their footing a lot. We were falling down. And before the game, when the, when the team arrived at Rice Stadium, they went and put their stuff in the locker room, and all of them came out and started walking on the field. And they all walked all the way down to the north end zone. They were coming from the south, all the way to the north, just trying to check the footing on the field, like it was some completely different thing than they were accustomed to. Hmm. And I was watching that in the pregame and thought, this is odd. And they didn't do as much pregame uh, like warm-ups as Rice did. And they didn't dress fully until about 15 minutes, 20 minutes before the game started. But the walking out onto the field and just the way that virtually everybody was out there and, and working on their footing and like taking steps, I just, I'd never seen it. And maybe I'm just missing it. Maybe I'm, I haven't been observant of that, but I don't think i've ever seen teams do that but yeah, it's the same field you. i mean it's the same field it's not like mm-hmm. something crazy different than what you play on at home and i was on the field pre-game and post-game and it felt the same to me now obviously i'm doing different things than they are but i hope it's a trap game it's a trophy game it's a rivalry game we're over overlooking them we didn't respect them this is the same thing we've heard for years right yeah, um, that's the thing is that you know you can you can throw up all the all these things and, and try to attribute it to some of that, but trap game. I mean, you and I both talked about this last week. Um, I don't believe in trap games, and the reason why is that if you go into playing an opponent that you think that you are physically better than them, I've always viewed it as a week to show off. It's like, man, these guys are terrible. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to rack up some numbers. Yeah, put your stats up, right? Yeah. I'm going to show off how cool I am. You don't do that by getting your ass whooped. So, I mean, it's hard to, for me to buy into a trap game. I never, I've never 
believe that. Um, if you're mentally, if you're mentally just not there and you're incapable of, I don't know if you have no pride and you aren't a greedy stat monger like I was, then, you know, maybe, I guess a trophy game. Well, that that's all the incentive you, you need right there. A rivalry oh, game. That's, that's all much. the, that's all the incentive. I mean, that's enough, isn't it? How can, how can you overlook that? Even if the because Bayou Bucket doesn't cares. mean anything. Yeah. Nobody I mean, cares. even if it doesn't mean anything, the fact that you're playing for that and you know that if you lose it, the guys across the street are going to have it. And if you go out in Houston, I know, I know it was, it was common when, when I was here is that we ran into the rice guys all the time. I mean, we, we go to parties and the rice guys are there. I mean, I got to be good friends with them and, and partied with those guys still wanted to kick their ass on, on game day, but they were everywhere. They were at the, they were at the bars and the clubs that we go to. They were at the restaurants. Um, they were at the parties because I mean, Houston's big, but it's not that big when it comes to kind of the, the college life. Um, so, you know, you got bragging rights on the, on the line, but when I, when I saw all those, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, maybe it's this. And then you combine that with, you had the great week on Tuesday and then you lose it in terrible days on Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Um, that just leads back to the biggest, the biggest issue is that if those are the problems, this game was lost years ago. It was completely lost years ago because that that's telling me you don't have a culture of excellence. It tells me that, that your standards are, we're just going to take it week by week. And then, you know, whatever happens happens. And we just hope to come out with a win. Any win's fine. Just as long as you just win, doesn't matter how you do it. Just, you know, just get by. And so by the time it comes to Wednesday and you have a crap practice, it's hard to, it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the, in the tube at that point, because, this is it's systemic with the type of program that that's being run. If you don't respond after Rice scored once, or after Rice scored a second time on the, I think the second score was after the the interception. If you can't respond then, and I mean you're still in the first quarter, Rice scored three times in twelve minutes, really in about seven minutes to be honest. But they punched you and punched again and punched again, and you were lifeless. And then I'm annoyed. It I was, don't know how to say it. I, I just, it's just pitiful. I mean, it wouldn't, it, and the thing was, is the first drive, it wasn't just a quick hitter, one or two plays deal. No, it they went, marching they went straight. 10 plays four times in the first half, I believe, or three yeah. times. Uh, they went 10, 11, and 10 in three of their drives. The third one was the interception, but they had long drives. U of H, four in an interception. And then they had a three-play, 30-second drive, which maybe even, I think it was 27 seconds, which is hard to do. Yeah. I mean. Um, But Rice turned around and did the same thing for you in the second half. Uh, They did it uh, their last, I believe it was their last real drive of the second half. They had a three-play, 49-second. And that is so maddening. As a football fan, just to watch somebody drop back three times trying to protect the lead, empty backfield. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, I'm not rooting for Rice, but I'm rooting for just smart football. I like when teams do the smart things, that, and these aren't even smart. They just, 
you've got to run two and a half minutes or whatever off of off the clock. You don't do that four wide, no, empty backfield. You just don't do it. Right. I, I mean, know, I just I, hated everything about this game. For both sides, I hated it. Yeah, you know, and I, I appreciate I appreciate Nelson Caesar's candor whenever he said, you know, hey, I feel like we looked at them like they were a smaller opponent. I feel like it was a lot of us in the locker room, including myself, that was looking forward to next week more than taking it one week at a time. I appreciate that, that he steps up and says that, but it's the thing that concerns me the most about that particular statement is that they didn't have an easy time last year. It's not like they just went no, out and or right last, last week. Year. No, but I mean, especially it's one last thing if you year. win by 60 last week, if you win by 50 points last week and you overlook somebody, that's at least okay. There's something, but you had to, to fight to the end last week and you should be ready this week. I mean, you had it. You had to hope for a really good spot to not, have to defend against going into overtime last week. It's not yeah. like it was uh oh they they scored garbage time touchdowns. The game was game was on the line up to the last minute. And last year, I mean the the crazy thing is is with what four minutes left in the game last year, Rice tied up tied it up. And then they got the ball back and we scored a touchdown with three and a half minutes left. And then Rice got the ball back and drove it inside our 10-yard line when the game ended. Accurate. I mean, how, how, how can you think, how can anybody think that that's part of the, those teams, and yes, I know there's so many new guys, as there are every year, um, but how can the guys from last year, especially Caesar, because Caesar's the guy that picked up and returned the fumble for a touchdown for the win. Yeah. How can you overlook that team? knowing what the dogfight that you were in last year. So, I mean, if you have a bad practice on Wednesday, guess what? Guess what we get to do? To, guess what I would have everybody do? We're going to watch the Rice game from last year. If you feel like it's getting away from you, show them that. Because that was your that was your reminder. But, I mean, apparently we forgot. I mean, we also apparently forgot the loss to Tulsa at the last year. They clearly forgot about being down to... Louisiana in the bowl game, 10 points at halftime. They didn't score the winner until 20 seconds left. Hmm. So it's not like they come into this playing incredible football and just blowing out all these dogs around them. And then Rice just sneaks up. I mean, you're playing nail biters game after game after game after game after game. I mean, what's this, the fifth, fourth time we've been in overtime in the last two seasons? Is that a record? Um, It was three last year. Am I misremembering? You had UTSA, Texas Tech, and Tulane. I think that's it. And then this game, hmm, it's a quandary. I don't think you need the year before. But yeah, you play down to your opponent virtually every week. But you're about to enter. Let me ask you this. Let me uh ask you this and stop you there. Are we really playing down to our opponents, or is this just what we are? Well, if you do it every week, it's what you are. There's just no, you can't say, oh, we're better than this. Okay, where is it? This is what you are. The problem is, is USF is not on this schedule. And neither is Tulsa. And neither is East Carolina or Temple. I mean. Well, and to be fair, out of that, I mean, Temple had the lead inside of two minutes last year. Tulsa beat us. Yeah. 
We blew out USF Woo. and ECU. Woo. Oh, and Navy. Yeah, we are, we also handled Navy. The rest of them, the rest of them, either they were losses or we were taking the game. We were still in a dogfight to the end of the game. What was your bright spot from this? Bright spot was um, Nelson Caesar and uh, Sammy Brown. Yeah. Sam Brown is really impressing me. He is showing maturity that he didn't show at all last year. Um, and he stepped up, and he feels like he's the number one guy. Matthew Golden made some nice catches, but Golden had a couple more drops, and he had two penalties. One of them was offsetting on the personal fouls that were 60 yards away from the play. But so far, Golden, there are some numbers there, but I just don't think he's had a good start to the year. Yeah, he's, he, he seems to me to be pressing a little bit. Maybe uh, Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. He's trying to be the man. Right. And, you know, that who knows, that might be that might be be what played um, Brown previously. It could be. Um, I don't know. I mean, but he he looks calm, confident, and he's kind of running free out there. You're talking um, about Brown. Yeah. 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 I think I think he I think he's he's looked pretty good so far. Golden had 13 targets in the Rice game. I, I just I, I don't remember it being that much. Uh, Brown had 12, but Brown had nine catches. Brown has 18 targets for the year and 15 catches. That's that's all conference worthy. Um, hasn't gotten in the end zone, which will happen. Um, well, I mean, let's be fair. We're not getting in the end zone that often anyhow. Well, there is somewhat true there. Uh, my bright spot is Sam Brown, of course. And then, you know, because we are who we are, uh, the punter. Yeah, well, I mean, Had a good you know, punting day. I'm glad you. I'm glad you bring that up because he he is he is he has earned his more than his worth this year. He's been very solid, easy to overlook, um, but he's been very well, very good. We're a, we're a punting school. We you know, Dane and now Lane. We're just a punting school. Yep. This is punt school. Big punt. Where is Wilkins at nationally? It's early, so people are punting their ass off, and it's hot. Well, it says he's only at 42.5 net, which doesn't sound right, which would be 35th in the country. So I don't think that's right. Uh, well, at least at least he's he's uh, he's only... He's doing his job. Well, I mean, he doesn't period. have the opportunity. He hadn't had a lot of kicks from his own 20 where he can just bomb it. That's true. You know, it's all about, it's all about the location of where he's kicking from. Also true. I'm Stuart Gus, official personal injury attorney of U of H Athletics. As you know, a great quarterback wins championships. If you've been injured in an auto accident, big or small, you can trust Gus to quarterback your case. Call 866-TRUST-GUS today. Principal Office, Houston, Texas. So we're back. Had to stop for a little bit because I had to record a podcast with the TCU podcast on the Dave Campbell's Texas football Podcast Network, the Republic of Football, the Frog Insider Pod. So I did like 30 minutes with them. Fantastic. Talked Kendall Bryles, who's coming back to Houston this week for the first time since 2018. And just kind of went down a wormhole with Major Applewhite and Danny getting the job and the 70-14 to 14 Army game that led to Major's firing. And it made me think of Mark D'Onofrio. And it turns out he got a job. He's at Stanford. 
And I thought that guy was totally unemployable for the rest of his life. But look at him getting a job at Stanford in the Pac-12 and I guess now in the ACC. So let's talk about TCU because if anybody has been, and this is the word Melissa from the Frogs Insider podcast used, she's called TCU a hot mess so far this year with the loss to Colorado and then just didn't look great against Nickel State. Okay. And, I mean, they've obviously they had very high expectations, whether they're founded or not. Right. And bringing in Kendall Bryles, you know, you, you start to have certain thoughts. And uh, Kendall has not been the guy he was when he was U of H, when he was going warp speed and just all over the place with Derek King. Right. Um, he's running it a lot more. He, was always, he always liked to run the ball. Um, but it's, it's more of a Sonny Dykes offense. Well, and uh, <clears throat> people people didn't really pay attention to what he was doing when he was no. at, at FAU, because at FAU they were almost exclusively run and throw the ball to the tight end because they had an elite running back and they had an elite tight end. I think both of them ended up being like top three. Wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that they had athletes at certain positions and they highlighted them? That seemed to be the case. Is that um, allowed? Uh, I don't know. Depends on which dimension we are in. Because uh, hmm. it probably took him five weeks to to learn what he had. Yeah, probably till the or maybe didn't. Game. Yeah. Um. So before we get into TCU, I just have this thought: What are you certain about about this U of H team? Like, what can you tell somebody? You 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 talk to them. And you talk about U of H. What are you certain that you can definitively say about this team? Um, They will be wearing a uniform when they show, when they arrive. Could be white, could be red, could be baby blue. That they will be wearing a uniform. As far as the play goes, uh, I mean, if I go by what I've seen, you're going to see a pretty disjointed team that's not good really at anything. Punting. Um, punting. Punting. We're yeah. a pretty good punting team. We're going to go for it a lot on fourth down. And the, well, in the Rice game, you had to, right? Well, I, I mean, you were forced even, into a situation. We would still do that anyhow. I think it was more than Dana is generally comfortable with. I think they go on for uh, Frankly, I have no problem going for it on fourth and two. I really don't. Because if you can't trust your team to get two yards, then what the hell are you doing? Right. But, I mean, there was a fourth and eight. You went for it on the eight-yard line, which that was a judgment call. You could have kicked it. You could have. But so you're not I mean, certain can, about anything yeah. about this team. No, no, it, not at all. I have no had You're no, no idea closer to learning the identity of this team than you were a week ago, right? No, I'm no closer knowing the identity of this team from for the last four or five years. I have really no idea. I never have. I've never At any known. point in Dana's tenure. Have you known the identity of this team? None. See, I think I knew it until the second play at Oklahoma in 2019. (laughs) Uh, The first play, I still felt like I knew who they were. But after that, it pretty much ended. And the first play, I believe, was incomplete. Yeah. Um, And then I was like, oh, okay. So you're going to do that and that. One of the things you brought up to me kind of in an indirect way was that 
the best players on this team, and in fact, three of the four captains, five years into this regime, three of the four captains were recruited by Major Applewhite. And so I, I didn't even know who the captains were this year. I don't, did, I don't remember us making a big deal out of it like we did in previous no. years. But mm-hmm. so that would tell me that, that it's Patrick Paul, Nelson mm-hmm. Caesar, and Jack mm-hmm. Freeman, and mm-hmm. somebody else. Hassan Hippolyte. No, I'm sorry. Is that it? Yeah, Maybe. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He liked your Asics. Yeah, well, I mean, he should because uh, those are awesome shoes. Yeah. Um, and I, forgo- has- I had forgot that, that um, Nelson Caesar was recruited prior to Dana getting here. Yeah. And so one of the things you're lacking is leadership being developed by Dana's recruits or Dana's transfers. And you brought up a good point earlier to me about the downside of the transfer portal is the lack of leadership. What do you mean by that? Um, well, a lot of the, a lot of the portal guys that, that we are getting aren't guys who were frontline guys at their previous spots, unless they came from a smaller school. We get a few of those here and there. Um, but the guys that we're, that we're looking at as the big infusion of talent They've played maybe a secondary or a tertiary role on a team that they were at previously. Now, a number number of them come in as freshman freshman um, transfers or sophomore transfers, so they don't have a lot of experience anyhow. Um, but even the more senior ones have been playing more of a support role and haven't. I mean, they've been exposed to leadership, but they've they haven't worked their way into a leadership role where people are looking at them at at them and depending on them to kind of set the tone and, and create kind of a culture of accountability. Now it can work, but what, what what I see is a problem is that we don't really have an identity as a program. It's not one and I don't, I hate comparing it to, to Samson because he's got something like really special and that's hard to replicate anywhere and everywhere. But since everybody on campus, every sport on campus loves to adopt the term culture, um, I just don't see that this team in this particular program in football, that we have any kind of identifiable culture. I mean, we've tried to, you know, use the third ward Coog brand and we try to brand it SAC Ave, um, but it doesn't seem like we have a culture of excellence that is that is hammered from the top down so using the bad comparison again with with basketball but basketball has a core group of players that come through from freshmen they learn and they earn their stripes and then they pass it on to the next and the guys that they bring in we bring in a lot of transfers don't get me wrong but that culture and that hardcore mentality starts at the top and it never flinches and it's not a culture of, hey, let's just get by or good enough is good enough. It's one of there is a standard and you meet it no matter what, no matter who you play, no matter how you feel in practice, the standard is the standard. And that's that's all there is to it. And then with the coaching staff being able to hammer that down, players and then also with a group of younger core players who have bought into this system to the bought into this program is that they don't know any, they don't know any different. And so they're able to bring the new guys into that culture 
that's been established. On football, we're bringing in guys who are talented. Obviously, they're talented. They're skilled. They went to a lot of these guys went to, to good programs. But they all come from these varying backgrounds who have played more minor roles by the time that they get here as sophomore juniors and some of them seniors, um, they're not stepping into a, to a system. They're stepping into a, a, just another group of players. And so you got a lot of people looking around saying, well, who's going to lead? Who's what, what's, what's acceptable? What's the, what are the expectations? Well, I don't know. We just go out and we, we, we try hard. We give it, we give it our best. It just seems like this team lacks from that, I guess, from that standpoint. And a lot of it comes down to the fact that you don't have a, you don't have a a style. You don't have a a culture um, that is established. And then you don't have players experienced as far as the leadership portion of it goes. And so you you don't have players that have been here for four or five years. You know, you have four, but for the most part, everybody's transient, right? Right. And they've been here one or two years, yeah. <clears throat> but what culture have they been ingrained? What, what culture has been ingrained in them since they've been here other than we try really hard. And I see it, I see it way too often in the results, especially over the last two years, 12, 12 and two was a phenomenal season. When you look back on it and you just look at the 12 and two, but you got to also remember we're playing, we're playing tight, tight games with not good teams. I mean, you go to the wire against a four and eight Navy team. Um, you go to overtime against ECU. You go to, I guess, um, we had a five point lead against USF. We edged out of that one. And of course, then we just, then we just crushed, you know, a terrible Temple team and a terrible Yukon team, but we play way too many teams like, Hey, just as long as we get the win, it doesn't matter. You know, that's we, good enough is good enough. We were good enough today. Hey, cool. Everybody, let's go have, you know, Capri Suns and Orange Slices and maybe hit Brahms after that. But oh. it's just, it's just year after year. And it's just a constant wave of, of players. I mean, I saw that, that, you know, we're, we're supposed to accept that this is a work in progress because we have so many p- new players. We've had, we have so many new players every year. It started in 2019 and it's happened every single year. When you, when you recruit half of your allotted slots, over half of them are transfers or Juco guys. You got guys who are going to be here, you know, three years. You might get four. It's not like you're only getting two or three year guys, but it's not like you're getting freshmen that come in that red shirt that work their way through the program that, that fill a good role that some of them might be backups. Some of them might be part-time players. Now, of course you're going to see more guys leaving because they're going to go look for opportunities to play. But the double-edged sword of that is a lot of these guys are getting forced out because you're bringing in portal guys to directly replace them. Yeah, that's true. And so the guys that you do have in your program, you've decided that you want to take somebody else and slot them, slot them into that spot. And so you lose everything that you've tried to build with those other guys. But then again, I go back to, I mean, what are we, what are we actually building? I don't know. It, yeah. It, I, I might, you do put a lot of time into a lot of guys that you're not getting anything out of. And that's, you're going to do that with backups and things, but, 
when it's every single year that you're bringing in these new guys to be your first string, like your whole defense is transfer pretty much with the exception of Nelson Caesar. Right. Uh, and Chidozi, but he's not even in there right now. Um, but it's just really fascinating that this culture or this identity is built the way it is. And it is lacking leadership and it is lacking um, the the old guys, the old timers that played here in the 60s and 70s will talk about how the seniors dominated the room. And when something happened, there was a bad loss or whatever, the seniors took care of it. When somebody got out of line, the seniors, that leadership group took care of it. And I don't think this team has had that for most of the last five years. Last year, you had Clayton Toon and, and Dell and guys like that. But, you know, there were still a lot of a lot of holes in that boat. Yeah. And it happened a lot. And I think every program is going to have a bad week every year. There's just going to be one week. Good programs still win that game. Mm-hmm. Problem is U of H has four or five of those every year. Right. And I, I'm just, I said it last week. I am looking for l- for growth, September 1st, October 1st, October 1st, November 1st, November 1st to December 1st. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen it through two weeks. Maybe we see it this week. I think U of H will likely start pretty well. And you have not seen a lot of U of H games lately, the last year and a half, where U of H has come out fast. Kansas, I think, was the last one. Maybe East Carolina. Uh, you came out fast against Kansas, and then there's a delay, and then Kansas just rolled you. Right. But I think because of the moment, maybe U of H comes out fast. Um, Dana, it feels like, made a point of emphasis to come out fast two years ago against Tech. You went on that drive, and then you onside kicked, which still is the best play Dana's ever run here. Mm-hmm. Last year, you came out fast against Kansas. You did not Tech the week before. Um, and so this is that, that big, big 12 game at home that, you know, you've come out fast a couple of years in a row. Well, yeah. And apparently you've been uh, looking to this game for, for a while. Months. I mean, well, you, I mean, did, we didn't focus on the, on the first two games. So you might as I've well been telling you that put it on this, that UTSA was looking forward to the game one. We were looking forward to the big 12 and right. I got it off just by a week. And it was rice that was so focused. And U of H just checked out, and I'm uh, I'm I have no clue what I had no clue what to expect two weeks ago. I have way less clue now. I don't know where this offense goes this week, and I don't know what defense shows up. Mm-hmm. But if you get whipped on the lines, like you got whipped a week ago, it's not going to be pretty. Mm-hmm. And I think your entire offense comes down to Unige and what they do on the right side. Do they run a whole bunch of plays with uh, some pullers coming from the left side? Is that what they're going to do? Because they did that a lot a week ago. Um, Because this could go any way. And the only way I don't see it going is U of H blows them out. I think U of H could win a close game if some bad things happen for TCU and U of H shortens the game as Dana is going to try like crazy to do. I think U of H could lose a close one. I could think U of H could be blown out. Yeah, there's... A a win would go a long ways to showing us something, but I would just like to see a good, consistent performance. I would like to see 
there some sort of direction from the offense. And see, that's the that's the problem with the thought of hey, let's try to let's try to control the clock. Let's try to control the clock. Let's try to establish this run game here. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you have the defense to do that. Doesn't matter how much rest a bad defense has. A bad defense is a bad defense. And TCU doesn't need a lot of time to score. No, they do not. So I mean if if we're sit if we're sitting there trying to control the clock and, you know, have six play thirty yard drives and still have to have to kick and hey great you took five minutes off the clock but you're not getting points i think that we have to approach this game the exact same way that that rice approached us and go out there and just try to hit them as hard as you possibly can because you're going to have to score points you're not going to win i don't believe it's possible to win this game in the 20s well i think it's possible but a lot of things have to go wrong on the other side you're going to need about five turnovers. I think you need at least three and a special team score. And well, that has nothing to do with the offense either. Well, I'm just saying that if to make, to win it, that's what you have to do. Five turnovers doesn't have anything to do with the offense either. And not turn it over ourselves. Um, did you learn anything this week? I learned that a three-man front with dropping eight into coverage um, still remains ineffective for the U of H defense. I don't think there's a lot of college defenses that can make that work, but certainly not with the talent level that you have here. And it's one thing to drop eight and then to, you know, cover some guys, but to just drop the soft eight is not. What I learned was intellectual brutality means nothing. That's the dumbest (laughs) phrase. I mean, it just really pisses me off how they played. Well, they put, and then to be rewarded for it. Yeah, they put bruta- They really highlighted the brutality part. They forgot the intellectual. Yeah. Ah, just so U of H loses forty three forty one. You were down twenty eight nothing. You scored thirty five unanswered points and lost. Brad, I haven't even asked you. Have you ever seen a team score thirty five unanswered points and lose? Um, I don't think I have. I don't think I, I racked mean, my it, brain. It didn't went, happen. Didn't happen last year against SMU, did it? I don't know they scored. No, they, get, no, they kept you, scoring. They, yeah, that was a that U of H scored in the first quarter of that game. But I, I can't remember any team scoring thirty five unanswered and losing. It just it seems impossible, but it happened. Through U of H, all things are possible. Go ahead and jot that down. All right, that's in my notes. I know. I'm just glad to get this. I'm glad to get this behind us, and you know. I can I can take losing. I can take getting beat, but I can't take just not showing up. And that's what we that's what we watched. If we're gonna go, if we're gonna go down, go down empty and everything you got. So U of H loses forty three forty one. You go into the Big Twelve opener, having this massive dud, and everything you had built for months, years, is harmed because you forgot to play rice. You forgot to show up. And you're one and one, you're seven, eight point dog right now at home. And this is one of those moments where you can erase a lot of wrong with one win. And there it doesn't happen a lot. There's not a lot of games where everything that's happened can be flushed if you win it. And I think this is one of those games. UT is obviously one of those games later on, but this one 
you win it, you go to two and one, and maybe people, maybe not forget Rice, but put it way to the back. Of course, you could then come out and lose to Sam, and then, yeah. True, but if you get to two and one, then you're, numbers-wise, you're exactly where you expect, most people expect you most, to be yeah, after I, the first I think so. And this is a big deal. It's a national Fox game, which you've never, I mean, it's just not something you do here. Mm-hmm. And the schedule is kind of weak. This, you know, the TV schedule is a little weak. So people might be tuning into this to see a game. And so you could have a bigger audience. And how does, she, how does U of H respond? How do they show up? Dana said there's no doubt that he'll have his players' attention this week. hope that's true. I was really hoping that the charter spectrum dispute would still uh, linger for another week to soften the ESPN audience and keep well, boosting it's a Fox, Fox audience. Oh, well, okay. so it'll soften the ESPN and then boost Fox, but I think they solved that this week. Yeah. But regardless, I think you're going to have you're going to have a lot of hype from the alumni regardless of what happened last week because I think, you know, we don't remember things here very much until we need to, but there's going to be a lot of hype. We're back in the, you know, it's going to, it brings back the memories of the old Southwest conference days. We're finally back in the big stage. You know, everything points to, I mean, everything really does point to a type of environment that we had against Louisville. Let's hope we come out and play like we did on that magical night game against Louisville. You think it points towards that? I'm talking about just the hype and the enthusiasm amongst the fans of just being back at the table again. I I don't see it. I wish I saw it, but I don't, I don't see it that way. Um, I I haven't seen it with the media's enthusiasm. I haven't seen it with fans. And I'm so curious how this ends up because there's still like 1,500, 2,000 seats for sale for the TCU game. We don't want to talk about that. We're just going to ignore that. Okay, uh, if you're listening at home, just disregard everything I said. Remember, hope, fine. hope is a plan. It's a viable strategy. That's all we have. We have each other. That is true. Yeah. Go Cougs all week. Content, shows, things, nouns. Gus Law Firm, thank you so much. Blanket of poo defense. The bop. Come on, Renu. Yeah, boo!